camera's going to go first. So hi, and welcome to the Dream Chasers podcast. I'm Samantha, and I am here with one of Pittsburgh's greatest citizens, uh, and I'm so excited to have Steve Radzinski here with me. Okay, did I say it right? Yeah, you Radzinski. did, actually. It, it is a, it's an intimidating name to look at, but it does sound exactly the way that it's spelled. I say, I say your last name a lot, mostly because your wife buys from us <laughs> so our name pops up i'm like that's Steve's wife. yeah uh, um my, my a lot i've gotten radinsky a lot they just yeah. leave out the z which is like the most prominent letter i feel right um i've gotten radzinski that's my favorite because it's rad <laughs> well you are that's um, true but uh my favorite was one time i got called Ru- rudinowski like they added seven letters uh i don't know where that came from but uh i appreciate it so i, I remember it to this day I, so my maiden name was super easy because my maiden name was Camp. Mm-hmm. Um, but so Bruce's last name was Story. So now we have the Story Camp thing going on. And like you'd be surprised how often that gets jacked up. So yeah. like, people just don't pay attention. Samantha gets jacked up in all kinds of ways. <laughs> they forget the N. They forget there's a T. They forget there's an H. So I, I've seen it with E's thrown in. Like I, I don't know. I don't know what people are thinking. Um so, yay, good. I'm glad I got your name right. So, um, thank you so much for being here. So, um, for for y'all, <laughs> I had to harass him a little bit to get him to come um, because I'm a nobody and um, he's like award winning and stuff. I'm so, still a nobody. Uh, well, with but you're awards, an award winning nobody. I have two, three, three awards. Okay. You have you have more than that. I don't know how many I have. You have you and that's, that lot. is not meant to be a brag. No, uh, it's kind of cool. But there's just there's just a lot of film fests and like I put yeah. them all into a folder in my computer, but I don't memorize all of them. You know, oh, I, I got the big ones up. What here. you don't sit there and go? Excuse me, I have one. No, just pull out like a the list of Jericho, like the nine one thousand awards, and just to go to commercial break as I read them all. Right, that's fantastic. So, um, and so the reason I. I wanted to bring you in specifically is because, um, and so like, so this idea came to me, I oh I think this is episode five now. So, um, often, you know, when people talk about like things that they're accomplishing, they think it's not a success unless it's, mm-hmm. you know, if you're not, you know, on TV between seven and 10, I don't give a crap. Right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but when I have, and I don't even know how we got connected on Facebook. I have no idea how this happened. Um, I don't know if I, if I asked you, if you, I don't know if we have like a million friends in common. I'm not sure. But I, I have been so fascinated by watching your process, um, your, your simultaneously kind of insecure and yet shameless self-promotion. <laughs> I love it so much. Like, like the whole campaign for thirst trap like i love all of it so um so i was like i have to i have to get in the same room with this person we need to be friends um and then i absolutely wanted you here well i appreciate being here for for our nine people who watch who watch or listen to uh well, don't podcast. you worry with my worldwide fan base you're going up to 14 oh my god i, I, I owe you don't coffee. don't let me down guys <laughs> the other five the other five <laughs> we need you um so so the way we normally start this thing is, as all good ideas come, um, I had this idea in the shower because this poem just kept coming to me over and over and over again. And so we start every episode with a pseudo dramatic reading of Harlem by Langston Hughes. Okay. And like my fear is one of these days the Langston Hughes estate's going to be like, stop reading his poem. <laughs> you owe us a you lot. You owe us a lot of money. Of money. Um, but if Lorraine Hansberry can use it as inspiration, so can I. 
Harlem. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? So when you, Steve Rudzinski, think of chasing dreams, what does that mean to you? Um, I mean, for me, chasing dreams is it's a big mountain that one has to climb. Uh, there's a lot of steps to it. Uh, there's a lot of work to it. And not that my work is that much hard uh, compared to a lot of other work that exists, but it's about focus and not losing that drive to want that dream. You know, there's so many people that were, you know, are my age that also wanted to be filmmakers at all of the age periods of my life. And it feels like I'm one of the last man standing. Like, yep. it, it feels like, um, and it's not anyone's fault. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying this is a negative. You know, they, you know, I'm talking about people that, you know, they, they changed their dream. Now they have a family and they're happy with that. Or they've been working on the same script for 13 years. Um, I don't think I know anyone right now that's doing that, so I that do. won't be a direct attack. Sorry, Stacy, um, I do. <laughs> but over the years, I've definitely met a lot of people that just fell into that trap. And again, yeah. it's nobody's fault. It's easy to fall into that trap. Right. Um, and it's they about... they want it perfect. Yes, and uh, perfection is like such a huge enemy in filmmaking, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I, my go-to advice for a first-time filmmaker is always learn the term good enough. Um, because you got a whole set, you got a whole cast, you got a mm-hmm. whole crew, even if you're doing a little short, like the, you got a whole project to worry about. Yeah. If, if you ever think that one scene needs to be perfect, you are screwing yourself for months. It's one of the reasons I like the 48 hour film festival. And it is, it's so funny because like I've written, I've written four, no, four, I think four that I've written or co-written, um, and I remember, like, I was writing one of them. I'm like, if I can whip one of these things out in six hours, why the hell am I still working on this feature? Mm-hmm. Like, why have I not gotten this done? Um, so I think that there is something to just forcing yourself to do it. Do you know who Julie Cameron, Julia Cameron? Julia Cameron? She wrote The Artist's Way. Oh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, yeah so it's that thing, the whole idea. I'm terrible like, with names if you that's name okay. things. No, it's like, <laughs> I deep dove a little bit on that one. So, uh, so the whole idea... The main thing I got out of out of the artist's way is the whole idea of morning pages, right? And I'm, I, will, I will admit to you, I don't do morning pages. I do a sort of mental equivalent of it. So what morning pages are, if you don't know, if you don't know, um, you get up in the morning and you write three pages of just shit, mm-hmm. right? Just, just get that garbage out of your head because the act of getting that garbage out of your head will get you to the good stuff. And I feel like the 48 does that right you you do garbage and you keep making garbage movies but you keep making them and then they just keep getting better yeah and you're able to get to that place where you need to be my early career is just trash like it's <laughs> and it just and it got slightly less stinky trash and i kept going and yeah. that's a lot of what it is yeah. you know a lot of guys and gals uh and and bees uh will make you know their first film and might get hit with a lot of negativity 
And that could shut down the creative process, yeah. and that's a bummer. Um, you have to be shameless to a degree while also hating yourself. Because um, I feel like that's very much part but, of all of the things. Yes. Uh, a good healthy dose of self-loathing gets you through the day. But you can't stop, and that's the point, because uh-huh. that is how you get better. That is how you find your own identity as an artist, as a creator, as a business person. Like right. the whole shebang, Keep keeping at it is the hardest but most important thing to do when it comes to anything in life, but given our topic, art. Right. So, okay. So, perfect world. But whoever's recording next door is really loud. <laughs> like, I never, like, you guys are having more fun than we are. What's going on over there? Um, now I'm kind of like going tiptoe next door. Um, money, I've, I've seen you say what your budgets for your films are. Yes. Um. So is is the is the keeping it hyper low? I mean, did I, did I see five hundred dollars? Is that what I saw? On a one couple, of them? a couple of my movies are that five hundred dollars. I I once did a, an entire theater season for ten grand, and that included rent. So like respect, <laughs> right? So um, is that is keeping the, the the budgets that low? Is that intentional in terms of? you know necessity is the mother of invention or is it just because that's what you have access to or is it just a okay this is what i got what can i make work with that like it it depends on the project you know obviously i also make plenty of like actual five-figure films that have you know like a crew and a full cast and multiple locations you know you know fifty thousand dollars is very very low budget but it's not a five hundred dollars it's not five hundred um but then there'll be just ideas that don't need to cost more than that because i'm making them kind of like as a joke uh, like uh, Amityville Christmas Vacation. Amityville Christmas Vacation was a joke idea that I had specifically because I saw that there was like 40 plus Amityville movies and there wasn't a Christmas one yet and I had to do that. I had to make the first <laughs> well, Christmas one. Well, you specifically one. had to. Exactly. Because if someone else did it, it was going to be some attempt at a horror movie and it was going to be dumb and it was going to be like not that funny. I was like, no, I have to make this a Christmas film. <clears throat> that just what happens to be. <laughs> but if I don't get this done immediately... I'll get beaten to the punch because of how many people are making Amityville movies and making right. like multiple Amityville movies a year. So it's like, I need to get this shot in two days and I need to get this cut in like two weeks just to make sure no one else comes out with one. Cause the, the That's day so we started shooting another Amityville for another holiday got announced like that day. I was like, I need to hurry before someone else. Beats That's me. amazing. Uh, so Amityville Christmas vacations, total budget was three hundred dollars you know my my good friend who does my you know music scores uh, my movie scores is what i meant to say you know you know on the real budgets he gets paid you know it's a real thing i get i pay him what he is worth and what he asks for and on this i was just like i'm making this for three hundred dollars could you do something for me he was like yeah and he did me a favor and you know i hired myself and my wife and i used my friend's house uh, so there wasn't just my own house and uh, the most expensive part of the film was the pajamas which were fifty (laughs) dollars But I needed the dinosaur pajamas from National <laughs> Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, um, well, yeah. and and I and I wasn't making it explicitly to be some sort of like hit. I was I knew what it was. All I wasn't right. trying to be more than that. Don't get me wrong. I knew that because of the budget being low, we would probably do well financially on streaming because streaming pays nothing. <laughs> um, but uh, that wasn't like the explicit intent. And of course, that's the movie that arguably blows up the most and has got me the most press and the most attention in my career the $300 shot in two days gag movie 
Right, because you, you won what, what, Fang Fangoria, is that what yeah, it was that you Fangoria won? Yeah, the Fangoria Chainsaw Award, which if, you know, as a horror filmmaker, that's always been, like, the top awards for someone in horror to win, in my opinion. Like, that is our Academy Awards, that is our Oscars, and I never thought I would get one, and if I got one, I thought it would be for something, like, actually important, or <laughs> big, or, like, some, like genre-pushing feature, and it's for Amityville Christmas Vacation. <laughs> but I love that, because I am the first-time-ever winner of that award, <laughs> which means I'm in the history books. I am I am forever on Wikipedia. <laughs> if anyone ever writes about the awards, Amityville Christmas Vacation is the first-ever best Amityville, and that's assuming they bring back the award. It might be the, might be the only right. best Amityville creator. And then I'm just going to say, I made the best Amityville. Like, I'm going to leave ever. off the year and everything. Yeah. I, th I think you can own that. Yes. I, I feel like that's definitely something you can own. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, even more than I am, because I am, I am a little bit of a whore for Christmas, not like you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will keep my Christmas tree up for two and a half years. I have done that, um, but not like you. <laughs> I think how how I'm many up trees to, do you usually have? Uh, I'm up to nine this year. Nine <laughs> trees, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, upstairs, the upstairs hallway has a skinny tall halloween tree that's just pumpkins and it's a black tree with orange lights and the um seven foot tall but skinny flocked tree which is the candy tree okay. we just put candy ornaments on that okay uh, then fair. we go down into the uh, into the living room the living room will have the burb tree which is a four foot tall uh tree of just burb ornaments and the real tree which is the hodgepodge of right. all the different ornaments right the front porch has the santa claus tree which is a six foot tree which just has santa claus ornaments uh then we go into the dining room and the, on the very right you have the ocean tree which is this teal tree covered in only like mermaids starfish That's aquaman amazing. um and also in the dining room is the halloween tree which is a black tree um with white lights and it's all the spooky ornaments you know haunted mansions right. uh, night before christmas stuff and um anything else that we see uh if you go into the basement it is basically um my hanukkah christmas tree uh but it's all silver and blue yeah and that's where i put my hanukkah ornaments and then on the back porch is just a three and a half foot tall tree that my father and i stole from a bank when i was like five i think we're past the statute of limitations on that tree theft right. uh the bank doesn't exist anymore well there you go um, that's fair and that's just uh, a red and green decoration tree so just a uh, red bulb green bulbs and uh red garland okay so two questions regarding your trees because I'm, I'm fascinated by this what came first, the trees or all the ornaments? Um, I mean, it's hard to say. I think it's a, a chicken. Well, it's not a chicken and the egg. The egg came first because dinosaurs exist. Um, but <laughs> um, I had a bunch of ornaments, and then we got, like, an additional tree, and some of the ornaments from the original tree went to it. But it's not like I got another tree because I was out of space. Okay. Um, it was just like, oh, well, yeah, I have this other tree, so I'll put these ornaments over here. Now I'll get new ornaments for this tree. Right. But at the same time, you know, s the burb tree was originally just, like, four ornaments that were on the real tree. Right. And has turned it to its own tree. Yes, that's amazing. <laughs> um, I, so I, me personally, I love Thanksgiving. That whole, like, you know, the, uh, all of a sudden words are leaving. The whole, like, let's not kill natives and, um, you know, take their lands thing aside. Um, I love the idea of a holiday about gratitude, right? 
Um, I came from, I, I, I come from a long line of people who spend all their time going, but they have, and I don't, and I'm mad about that, right? I come from a long line of that. So, so the idea of there being a day to practice gratitude for that day, that day I get to tell everybody how much I appreciate them and how grateful I am for them. And we're going to eat a lot of food and there's pumpkin pie involved. Like I'm all about that. Where do you think that your near obsession, um, I think that's fair, with Christmas comes from? Um, I'm probably going to be accidentally quoting Frank Cross here, so uh, I'm not doing it explicitly on purpose because it's exactly how I feel, but you're going to notice. It is just that concept of it is, you know, similar to what you were saying. The whole year it's all about me, 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 me. What can I do? What can I get? What can I get for myself? Christmas is that season, and I'm talking non-denominational Christmas, you know, for... Holidays. The holiday, all 27 holidays. I am not Christian. Uh, (laughs) Right. Which which still leaves me with 97% of Christmas. Right. Um, But it's... Christmas season is the one time of year where we do think about other people. That is the point of the season. It is to help someone else. It is to give, and not just presents, but also to give love, to give empathy, to give care. Uh, for a few weeks out of the whole year, we are the people we have always hoped we would be. You know, we smile a little easier, we laugh a little more, we cheer a little more. And it's it's this beautiful kind of real-life miracle because it just happens every year. You know, I know a lot of people say, like, oh, everyone's miserable at Christmas, but genuinely, in my experience... Everyone is nicer at the Christmas season yeah. that I run into. Everyone's happier. Everyone's smiling. And I do think part of that is you're going to get what you're giving to a degree. Yeah. Not to blame everyone. You're going to run into jerks no matter what. Right. <laughs> I don't want to victim blame you know, well, retail workers dealing with jerks. The rest of the year, it's just there's fewer of them at once. Yes. Um, yeah. And it's, there's just a lot of joy. And it is that helping other people that... You know, I wish we had all year long. Obviously, that would be the preferred real-world setting, but that isn't reality for whatever reason. So it just makes me appreciate the Christmas season more. You know, I try to keep Christmas in my heart the whole year. I really yeah. do, um, but I don't always. Uh, but, like, my favorite part of Christmas is buying my friends gifts. Like, yeah. I, I invite, uh, like, 30 to 40 of my friends to my house for a huge Christmas party, and they all get a standalone, unique gift, and they're all wonderful, and everyone tells me I'm the best gift giver, and yeah, I am. <laughs> um, and that's what I love about it. You know, it's yeah. it's that just seeing other people smile, seeing other people happy, making other people happy, and it's one of the reasons why I make movies. You know, my movies are funny. Almost all of them are, because um, I like making other people happy, and that's what the Christmas season is about. That's awesome. Sorry. It was just such a good answer. <laughs> I, I deeply host. care about Christmas. That's why I'm a terrible host. I'm like, that's such a good answer. I just want to hear Steve talk. Because um, I wasn't always like that. You know, growing up, I had terrible Christmases. Yeah, you know, uh, I had a single mother who was not a good mother um, and who also worked, you know, double shifts. And I was, uh, I got stuff, but I didn't have anything that actually filled holes of loneliness or sadness yeah. or depression. Um and it wasn't until I got to my 20s where I kind of, like, said, like, I want Christmas to be Christmas. And, like, I made the effort to, like, 
start being a little happier and like giving more and thinking about others more. And I had to make that choice to make it happen. And yeah. it has just grown and grown and grown ever since then to the point, you know, like all my friends refer to me as the Lord of Christmas. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said to my face, like, Steve, I hated Christmas. Like, I despised yep. Christmas. You made me love Christmas. This and is that the means second the best time thing. we have been in the same space. <laughs> And I, whenever I think of Christmas, you're one of the first people that springs to my head. So, I mean, there's, there's something to be said for that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I, I like, I think my, I think my favorite part of Christmas, and this kind of goes along with what you're saying, is I get seasonal depression. Dark is hard. Long dark days are hard. Like they will throw me into a pit of despair that's pretty awful. So I have trained myself to love snow. Because snow makes it better, right? Mm -hmm. Snow makes everything, everything's brighter. So I've trained myself to love snow because I can get, if I can get, as long as there's snow, then I can get through the winter, right? But then right. the twinkles on top of the snow, it's like Christmas. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's part of it too. Like, yeah. That's what, what something I like about Christmas is like some people will say like, oh, I don't like Christmas because I don't like winter. Like, I hate winter. Winter sucks. Uh, the days are shorter. It's yeah. cold. Um, that's kind of part of what Christmas is. It It's a celebration to say like, hey, man, winter winter blows. So let's get really drunk and like. And cover ourselves with lights. Eat a bunch of stuff. And like, yeah, put Literally. lights outside so that it looks brighter at night. Yeah. Like it's it's literally an anti-winter holiday. It's one last big hurrah before we're stuck in our houses for three months. I said, I said to my husband a couple of months ago that I felt like the best thing that came out of COVID was that people have started keeping their lights up year round. Mm -hmm. I could, because I don't know about you. Um, my tree was up from November of 19 through April of last year. So was that two and a half years? I'm mm -hmm. like two and a half years. I had my tree up and it was, it was funny cause I can't, and he, the only reason he took it down and he only took it down temporarily was because <laughs> it was so dusty. Like he had to take it outside. Um, it was like, he's like, this is why we're all sick all the time, Samantha. There's so much dust on this thing. Fine. But like, he came home, I, like, I came home and it, like, it was visceral, mm -hmm. my reaction to the lack of the tree in the living room. Um, but I have noticed that a lot of folks have been leaving their lights just up year round. And, and, and I, like now that all the weird Edison bulbs are really in and they're just everywhere. Like everyone has them. And I think, I think there's something to that. It's like, give yourself a light in that dark. You know, even if you have to fake it at first, like give yourself a light in that dark. That's what it is. You know, some people think that the Christmas spirit is like, or any holiday spirit, to be mm -hmm. honest, is like this innate thing that just happens. It's like, oh yeah, I didn't have good Christmases as a kid, so I don't like Christmas. And I was like, that's fair. Like, that's valid. I'm yeah. not going to say like, screw you for not liking Christmas, but I was the same. And everyone's different. Uh, just because I did it doesn't mean everyone else can do it. Right. But it is, it's a, a muscle you got to start training. Right. That's all it is. Right. Um, same with any holiday. If you want to care about it, same with your birthday. Same with anything. Like, same with any anything. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's cool. Um, so you said you you started being a filmmaker at twelve, or you decided you wanted to be? a I filmmaker? I wanted to be a filmmaker at twelve. When did you start? Like making oh, I anything? Was like Fourteen, fifteen, maybe yeah. at the oldest. And it was you know I had a a digital eight millimeter camera. So it was an eight millimeter, but since it was digital, it could also record audio and like it was on tapes uh, and as opposed yeah. to like spools. Um, and I just started shooting awful backyard stuff, you know, and I, that's what I did ever since. So 
fourteen year old Steve did fourteen year old Steve just did he want to be an actor? Did he want to be a director? I did, wanted to be a director, writer a director. type deal. Yeah, okay. that is always what I've my main focus has been. Uh, my acting, I like. I am also an actor, and I will act in other films. Me acting in my own films is generally a money saving decision. It's <laughs> because you're cheaper, <clears throat> or because that's why, I, that's why I'm in all my ads because yeah. I'm cheaper. Uh, <laughs> Or because the money people bullied me into being in the film. Right. Well, you <laughs> look great on film, so I'm sure oh, that, that helps. I appreciate that, yeah. I'm uh, sure that helps. I mean, I, I, over the time, I've come to the conclusion that, like, you know, like, my wife and I have come up with a new film idea that we want to shoot and get out next year. I'm mm-hmm. not going to reveal more than that right now until we get something really written down. Right. But originally, I didn't really want to be in this film, um, similar to the first Care's Hell, but, like, then I kind of thought about it, and I know that I have a lot of fans that explicitly see my movies because I'm in them at right. this point. I'm the brand. I'm part of the brand. Right. You know, I'm a product, and so I'm going to end up being in the film, and I know there's going to be new random people that see this movie for the first time and are going to say, like, oh, of course, the you know co-writer, director starring in the movie, and that's not my motivation. Right. And I don't care what they say because of the amount of fans I know that are going to buy this movie because I'm in it specifically. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, I... I... <laughs> So, okay, so I started this podcast never having actually ever listened to another podcast. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, I should probably listen to one <laughs> so I know how these are supposed to go. Um, and so I started listening to Smartless. And Judd Apatow was on one of their episodes. And he was saying that he has never been offered a film. Like every single film he's ever directed, it was his. It was mm-hmm. his baby. He wrote it or whatever. He, he you know produced it, created it, whatever made that happen. Um, so I I think that's you know, and they always say you know make your own work, make your own work, make your own work. Yeah. So I think I think you are the embodiment of what everyone says is what you have to do to make it happen. You know what I mean? Um, that said, if you know. Sony Pictures, or who are the big ones now? Um, it's hard to say these days. Nowadays, it's hard to know, yeah. It's, everything's if, falling apart. If one of the, if one of the uh, AMPTP, who is not the enemy anymore, as of two days ago, they're not the enemy anymore. I mean, um, they will always they will be, always the, be enemy. the enemy. But yeah. they're not officially the <laughs> we enemy. We're actively in war. We're not actively in battle. <laughs> um, if, they were, if one of them was to come to you tomorrow and say, give us a number, what do you want to make happen? What would you do? Um, do, you, I mean, do you have like something in the back of your head? If, like, if this is, I mean, I feel like you're, there's two different potential questions you're asking here. There's the you're asking like if I could make any dream movie I wanted to, you know, sky's the limit, rights, mm-hmm. when, money. That's one answer. Versus the more realistic, what if a studio approached me for an idea that they wanted to fund? Because if it's the second one, um, I'm going to come up with a good idea that I don't want to own anymore. Because then it's going to be theirs forever. Right. Like, I would never make a carousel with a Sony or Warner Brothers uh, Discovery, right. especially not them right now. Just throw that in the damn trash. Uh, <laughs> um, but not I the would, enemy, but... <laughs> but I would maybe like the idea that uh, Aline and I are thinking about doing for next year. Because it's an yeah. idea we love and we really like, but at the same time, it's... Our concept of it is a standalone one movie type deal. It's not right. meant to be like a new universe or, or a series that we want to keep on following up on. So right. we would come up with an idea like what we're doing now. Okay. If you're asking a dream movie, uh, that well, is well, it is Dream Chasers. So it is a it's a toss up uh, between the more lesser known 
it's an old anime called Ronin Warriors or Samurai Troopers in Japan. Uh, but it's the it's like the only anime that I like. But it's a cool mix of like Super Sentai and Japanese culture and magic and great monster designs and great villain designs and great suit designs that's just like it's so super sentai like it's so tokusatsu even though they're wearing suits of armor instead of a spandex right um and i would love to turn that first story arc into one single standalone film but that would be like a 200 million dollars type film right my my real dream is i would love love to make an an ernest p world legacy sequel movie about ernie jr Ernest has a son, which he only mentioned in one single one single time ever. I forget offhand. I, I need to re. I have it on disc, but I forget if it was in like the Haven show or if it was one of the commercials. But there's one single time when Ernest says, "Here's my son, Ernie Jr., and I want to make a movie about Ernie Jr." I, I was so excited when you showed up at Wars with you. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, okay, that's no. I, um, I feel like it says a lot about you know, who you are as a person, like if you know in the back of your head what the dream is, right? Mm -hmm. Like even if, even if you aren't, even if you aren't like every single day acting towards that specific thing, I think, I think it says a lot about you, like that you have one. Um, like one of the, one of the inciting conversations of this thing is one of my dearest friends um, and I'm not calling her out, but like one of my one of my dearest friends, I asked her that question. I, I'm like, in a perfect world, what would your life look like? And she mm -hmm. didn't know. And I've never not known. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like like some people say they have like a running monologue in their head when they're talking. I I don't I don't have that. Like I don't have a running monologue in my head. Apparently that's unusual. It is. There's um, a noir film happening in my brain all the time. I have. So I have. So maybe it's because I, I have a history in like journalism, but I like, I will occasionally have, don't laugh, like newspaper headlines. Okay. Yeah. Like, like front pages of newspapers, like that'll sometimes pop up. Yeah. In my I head. can see that. Yeah. That makes sense. But that, but it's not like a running, it's not like a running dialogue that's going on in my head at all times. Maybe it's cause I talk all day. <laughs> I just get <laughs> my body. Um, but yeah. So, so to me, the idea of not knowing is foreign. Now, that said, the, the thing I'm currently chasing is not what my 12-year-old dream was. Mm -hmm. You know, 12-year-old dreams stage all day, every day. Yeah. Um, I'm just adapting which stage it is. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to pursue television. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Well, there's reasons. But because um, I'm trying to think, decide what the universe is asking me to do. That's kind of what it sounds like. So, um. Half the words that you said in your dream description, I have no idea what those are. Yep. <laughs> and but but the fact that you saw them so clearly, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, and I felt like I got it. And that's all that matters. That's <laughs> well, not that, who cares what I think, but um, right. So I'm also a big believer in you know you do three things every day towards whatever your goal is, doesn't matter how big they are, even if it's just one thing. Like some people don't, but like, what are some Things that you do that are part of your like ritual, like every day I get up and I do this, or every week I make sure I do this or whatever to towards the goals, other than just like throwing together movies in three days. Uh, I mean, I definitely don't have uh, explicit rituals when it comes okay. to that. It, you know, I mean, I'm making a feature film almost every single year. 
Yeah. Uh, so when I'm making the feature film, there's a lot of time, even if it's the little $300 ones, um, when it comes to coming up with the idea, the outline, writing the script, shooting it, editing the movie, but then also post-release, actually like selling it on the store, doing uh, podcast appearances, doing convention appearances, right. marketing it, making you know images in Photoshop to post on Instagram and Facebook right. and Twitter um, <laughs> uh, and uh, that sort of thing. So right. then when I kind of, and that never stops, to be clear. Like, that is a permanent thing when it comes to being an independent filmmaker, especially. Like, you know, right. I said it earlier, you are part of the product. Yeah. You know, it is very similar, and I say this with love, to be clear. It's very similar to OnlyFans, where, like, yes, there is other options that are maybe free on the internet, but the reason why they're supporting an independent creator is that direct connection with the independent creator and not necessarily parasocial relationships. Just like, I know this person mm -hmm. is a human being. They aren't a corporation. I like them. So I want to support them. We found the same thing with the soap. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, that's not quite the ritual, but that is something that I'm doing not ne and not necessarily every day, but consistently. Okay. Um, and when things slow down, I try to not do anything. Like when things slow down, I do try to, you know, I'm still going to be a character online, still going to like talk and like react to fans and talk to fans. But it's nice to shut down, you know, I, and I'm especially doing it during the season, just like watching Christmas movies or, right. you know, if a new game comes out, I'm playing Robocop right now uh, <laughs> and I'm having a great time and I don't game that often. But when I do get to, I just kind of try to focus on that and just consuming for a little while instead of always being in creating mode, creating right. mode, creating mode. It's nice to just sit down and enjoy what others have done for a while right. and not have to worry about it. So you, so you write them, you direct mm -hmm. them, you produce them, um, frequently start on them. What's your favorite? Uh, I mean, right now, my favorite is Carousel 3. It is so weird. And unlike most independent horror comedies that exist, I don't, I can't think of one that is done the way the Carousel 3 is in terms of how the story is told. Right. But there's a million that exists, so I'm not going to say I'm the only one right. or anything like that. But it's, it's such a... It's the story that we wanted to tell from the beginning to a point, but also when we came to this... You know, the end of this road after working on Caris the Carousel series since 2016, you know, seven years later at this point, uh, this is what felt the most right and it made the most sense. And um, a lot of fans are signed on with it and love what I did with it. And yeah. of course, there's going to be people that don't like it because it's not just a slasher movie anymore. Right. Um, but I'm a big fan of when sequels do things completely differently as opposed to just being right. the same movie again. That's the kind of movies I like. That's the kind of sequels I like. And I love the fact that if you watch Carousel 1... I 1,000% doubt that you'd be able to predict Carousel 3 uh, and what we do with it. Okay. <laughs> and that's what I, I, I enjoy. But it, it's such a personal story. It's such a, like, a, there's a lot of heart. There's a lot of sincerity. There's a lot of, like, genuine heartwarming stuff in this killer unicorn, now killer Carousel <laughs> Rabbit movie with an insane person that survived the first film basically right. being the Ben Affleck Batman. Right. Um. Which I also expected fans to hate me for, because everyone kept saying, is Joe coming back? 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 Uh, so I finally said, okay, Joe's coming back, but he's no longer the character you loved. Because why would he be after getting be? his eye carved out? He's very mad now. Well, yeah. <laughs> he, has, uh, he has things to uh, make right. But yeah, Car Carousel 3 is my favorite movie right now. But, you know, it can change... You know, week to week, month to month. So if you ask me this question again in a year, maybe I wouldn't think that anymore. Right. Or maybe I still will. I don't know. So, so I will admit that the only... Because I don't watch anything. Please don't take it personally. I don't watch anything. But I did watch... Uh, is it Meowie? 
Meowy Christmas? Meowy Christmas? Yes, I did yeah. watch your Kitty Christmas. Thank you. <laughs> because I wanted to make sure. So, um, I, I, I fully, I fully 100% admit, um, horror is not my thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, which is why I've, I avoid those things. Even when I'm in them, I don't like to watch them. I don't watch most things I'm in. So, like, don't, don't be offended. So, even within Meowy Christmas, um, Lloyd Kaufman always springs to mind when I think of you, okay. and and not because of the style of the movie, but because of the st- the 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 way in which you make these things happen. Um, I got to meet him a thousand years ago. Um, when he was when he was promoting still my movie or still this movie. Oh God, still this book. I think it was called. Um, where he was talking about basically like guerrilla filmmaking, which I feel is one hundred percent what you do. Mm-hmm. Um. What gives you the idea to go, oh, I have this cat. <laughs> I should make a movie. Um, the Beyond movies exist because of spite. I'm going to okay. say that. Um, so uh, my friend Bill Murphy and I had a podcast at the time. Okay. Uh, movie Films with Bill and Steve. I think it may still be up somewhere on YouTube or somewhere. I don't know. Um, don't want to guarantee it. But uh, we would review movies sometimes because he was a big movie fan and I made movies and that was an interesting dynamic. Uh, Karis Hell got picked up by a distribution company who outright said, we won't be able to release this for a while because we have a backlog, but we really wanted this movie. I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. I can't really make another like actual five-figure film when the other one can't even be really released and make a cent. So I was just kind of doing this podcast, not making anything, not being creative. And we still happened to watch multiple talking animal holiday films that kept making us very angry (laughs) because they were so milk toast and uninteresting and boring and just like home alone ripoffs, but not interesting or funny or doing anything different. And at the same time, these were all like, they were being produced by like ABC family. So like, you know, they have six figures because they're shooting in this mansion in California and they have, you know, Dean Kane in it. And it, <laughs> it was the dog who saved Christmas and the dog who saved Halloween. That's what broke us. It was that one, too. <laughs> the Three Dogateers was great. The Three Dogateers was hilarious because I knew it was what it wanted to be. Um, that was like a shining star in this hell that we put ourselves into. <laughs> but I got so mad that I literally, while on the podcast, said, screw it. I have a cat and $500. I'm going to make a Home Alone ripoff, except we're going to make it weird. <laughs> and that's why Meow Christmas is about a talking cat that watches Alex Jones videos all day because only a cat is dumb enough to believe him. Not even the rat <laughs> believes him. Not even the rat. Um, just the cat. <laughs> so that was, like the, the, that was like one of the only movies I made just like as a product, you know, like not explicit, right. like, oh, this is something I really want to do. I have this idea. It's like, no, I was like, these, all these garbage movies make money. I'm going to make some money off of this. And uh, it did. Because um, <laughs> you said it's one of your most successful. It, it, and then I made a Meow Halloween, which is also one of my most successful films of my entire career because PG Horror with Cat seems to clean up very well on streaming <laughs> and at horror conventions. <laughs> that is my pro tip to anyone that wants to make money as a filmmaker. Make a talking cat. PG horror for $300. Movie. Um and uh that one I did really want to do because I've always loved PG horror. Like during right. you know my career is horror, you know, I grew up on horror. It's my favorite right. genre. During the Halloween season I watched PG and G rated horror for the two months because I have a soft spot for those. I like so, seeing what so they what, do with what it. What does that entail? What it's like? What like it, Ernest Scared Stupid, okay. Paranorman, okay, um, like like even Hocus Pocus, like okay. movies that are like meant to be spooky and meant to have scares, but are also meant to be seen by kids okay. as like the main focus. Okay, but that's also why you know Meowie Halloween is made for kids, 
but it is, I call it a family film, not a kid's film, because there's also 47 references to R-rated horror films throughout the whole thing. So the adults that watch the movie have a kick being like, wait, did All this the guy just... family films have something for mom and dad. Did this guy just open a puzzle box and then we heard chains and then he disappeared for the rest of the movie? Is that character <laughs> in hell in this children's movie? Yes, the answer is yes. yes. <laughs> That's so great. That's so great. Um... And then I made three and four just to end the story because one and two were so successful that it would have been so easy for me to fall into the pit of just doing talking animal movies for the rest of my life. Well, you don't want to be a Saw franchise for kitties? Uh, I mean, I'm fine with that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, it, I kind of made my point with it. Okay. So, since, but since it had fans and the fans did want more, I was like, okay, let me do Meowie St. Patrick's Day, Meowie Christmas Vacation, uh, which are combined into one film on Tubi, just a Meowie Christmas Vacation. I call that the end game cut. Um, but I wanted to have this talking animal franchise that actually has an ending right. that like brings everything together because no other talking animal franchise has that to my to my knowledge. Uh, I'm not well versed on talking animal franchises. I unfortunately am. Um, but I, I and like they three and four weren't as big of hits as one and two. One and two still sell more and are watched more online, and that's fine. But like I gave the the big fans yeah. like a conclusion. Which that's fair. Usually you don't get that right, in nope. this sort of thing, and then I can like you know pat my hands, and that's not to say that those characters are gone forever. Obviously, uh, Wally Griswold from the Meowies is the star of Envy Christmas Vacation. Okay, because we've we're, we've made Wally our Ernest P. World. We can put Wally into any adventure so and just funny. plug him in, and we have this established character that I already know how to write and know how to play. And he can be doing anything. He'll be in another Christmas rom-com before, you know, I'm retired. At least one more, if not multiples. <laughs> oh my God, you're talking about retiring. <laughs> um, so, you, so you do a lot of cons mm-hmm. um, and festivals and things. The idea of going to a con is like my personal circle of hell. So uh, I don't do markets. I, can't, I, like, I can't. Like, I, you know, I love people when I can control it. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, A... How do you like those things? You know, how how have you found, like, you know, being face-to-face with fans that aren't necessarily people you know? Um, like, how does that all go down for you? Well, I will say that it, in this era of things like ad blockers and people that hate self-promotion on websites and uh, people no longer looking at, like, no longer following review websites like a horror society or something. Like, they don't really follow those websites as much as they used to 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, It's very, very hard to find new people, new audience members, because of these things. You know, and, you know, you'll be on streaming, but at the same time, a lot of people use streaming as very disposable content. That's what streaming has turned movies into. People that love Cares Hell 1 and will tweet about loving Cares Hell 1 will only do that. And, like, they don't read the credits. They don't know who made it. They don't look up my other films. Uh, one of my, like, a very, very big fan of mine a few years back what, that loves Cares Hell, you know, one and two at the time. And when I posted about, like, the cat movie, they were just like, wait, you've made cat movies? And it's like, if you're, like, how do you not know that? With how right. much I've talked about it, with how much I've right. posted about that. But that's the reality of these algorithms, of ad blockers, of all this stuff. Going to a convention where people meet make eye contact with you and have to hear you speak is like, mm-hmm. it feels like the only way these days for an indie filmmaker to actually meet new people and make new fans. So it's, it feels like such a vital aspect of this business. Even if you just want to focus on making, uh, making movies too bad, bucko, uh, you better uh, yeah. go get some vendor booths before you're known enough to be a guest. Cause this right. is the only way you're going to sell. And they're uh, not cheap. Those things. 
No, they can be very expensive. Um, you know, I've been doing it so long that at this point I'm invited as a guest to a lot of conventions, thankfully. Uh, but there's still you know, some cons i got to pay to get into. I ain't a big shot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, that, yeah. it can those fees can start going up. Um, and I enjoy it for the most part. I mean, it's physically exhausting because you yeah. got to wake up pretty early, you know, to get there that first day or, you know, the day before, you know, the Saturday is such a long day because it starts so early and then it goes into the night. And usually you got to mingle a bit after the show to, you know, keep on good terms with your, your friends and fans. And then, you know, Sunday is another long day and it's just, it's tiring and it's, I'm so happy to get home by the end of it. But at the same time, it's still a blast to be there uh, to, you know, at times I have a line of people wanting to meet me or like pick up my films, uh, get to talk to someone who's brand new, who has no idea who I am. And then they buy several of my films and then I still, see them tweet or post on Facebook or or on Letterboxd about how they actually liked it. You know, they rolled yeah. the dice on my movies and they enjoyed it. So it, it's a cool experience. I like doing it. I also like getting home and taking off my shoes and petting my cat. Yes. <laughs> so do, do you just do Pittsburgh area ones or like how far, how far afield? Will I mean, go? I've done, you know, Nashville, North Carolina, Cincinnati. Um, I did one in California a while back. I did one in Washington a long while back. Oregon, one of those two states up in the top, top left. Uh, Washington, <laughs> Oregon. There's yeah, one of those uh, two. Idaho. There's yeah. Um, I used to live over there. That's but, I know. I'm not that good at geography. I just used to live over there. Um, I want to try to get into more cons uh, further into the country to again try to meet new fans. You know feeling like it kind of plateaued in this area, and it's hard to reach the new people as I've discussed, but. It's hard to figure out which cons are worth the travel to. And then yeah. the ones that I know for a fact are worth the travel to are so hard to get into, either as a guest or even just as a paying vendor, because they have such a waiting list. Right. So uh, I want to try to expand, but at the same time, I keep on being so busy making movies. Right. Um, that it's hard to kind of like sit down and like, okay, this money that I would have put into making a film and selling it and advertising it, I can put into flying to two conventions this year. But I need to st I need to stop making movies. Right. <laughs> Cuz that's that's the hazard of it being you. Mm -hmm. Is that you can't be in seven places at once. Yeah. That's the hazard. It's, and it's, that's why some people go through a distributor still because that way now their movie is at like 20, 50 whatever conventions where that distributor is going to and maybe finding your movie and buying it and finding out about you. But they don't find out about most of the time they don't. Most right. of the time they don't. I mean, I you know, you, you bring up Lloyd Kaufman, and I can't tell you how many filmmakers I know who, like, maybe Troma picked up their movie, and, yeah. like, so many people only refer to it as a Troma film. Right. Like, they have never once, like, credited it as the actual director or right. looked up the actual director. They're just like, yep, that's a Troma, and I like Troma, and it's right. just like, uh, other people made this. Like, they have their own team and their own films. If right. you like that, maybe, maybe see what they're like. But that's the reality of... Filmmaking these days, it's hard. Well, I, that's why I'm. So, I, that's I why I have to be I such a character. I think it's true about yeah. I think it's true about a lot of things because um, when like when we first started the soaps, like we were on Etsy, and people don't realize that uh, that all those different stores on Etsy are individual businesses, mm -hmm. right? And so they're like, "Oh, I bought it from Etsy." Well, no, you bought it from you know Moon Made Pies or whatever who hosts on, on Etsy. Who are on Etsy, right? Yeah. So it's a, it, it's a, it's a tricky thing. Um, same happens with Amazon mm -hmm. because like Amazon as a company is one thing, but there are 
thousands and thousands and thousands of small businesses on mm-hmm. that platform that you know that use but people don't think of it that way they're like oh i bought it from amazon not that i bought it from this guy in kentucky you yeah. know uh, i think that's i think that's pretty standard i have noticed that a lot like i'm finding or refinding things but i have been finding things that have interested me because they've been doing this thing on tiktok where they'll like post like a little 90 second scene from a TV show or from a film. I'm like, oh, shit, what's that? Um, is that something that you do, or have you thought about doing that? I've tried doing that, but TikTok is finally that technology that's making me feel like an old man. Like, that's finally the tech. Like, I've been real good at keeping up with everything. TikTok is finally the one I do not understand. I, I, it doesn't It annoys connect. me. Um, one of my <laughs> clips went viral because someone f- uh, froze the one singular frame where we replaced the lunchbox actor with a dummy, and it's very fake. We didn't care because it's there for one twenty-fourth of a second, but someone with lightning fast pause <laughs> abilities paused on it and laughed at that, uh, which is fine because it does look silly, but that got like like hundreds of millions of views oh my God. on TikTok. It got reshared in like Brazilian Instagram specifically. Uh, it got like uh, hundreds of thousands of reactions on Twitter. And of course, that led to, I think, one sale. Oh my God. And I think my numbers watched on Tubi. Like, I think I, I went from getting paid $6 the month before to now getting $13. Oh my gosh, you're so, so fancy. going that viral did almost nothing for me. Okay. Uh, so, like, I've tried uploading a few clips from the carousels to TikTok as is, you know, like, just like a scene or like mm-hmm. a kill or something. And, you know, it gets like a 1,000, 2,000 views, like 20 reactions. And I think it's just because that's not what TikTok is for. Right. But it doesn't. That sort of stuff doesn't seem to do anything for me. It, right. It's a it's a different audience than my stuff that I'm making. Yeah, especially with the younger younger crowd now not liking nudity at all or sexuality, and the carousels are definitely not is, yeah, good for that's, people that's, that don't like that. No. <laughs> well, you know, everyone's got their thing. <laughs> it, it's surreal, though. It, I will say it's surreal because you know it's like I, I've seen that like, discussion on all the social medias, just, like, this, the younger generations don't like sex scenes. They think sex scenes are pointless in art and films and shouldn't be there at all because porn exists. Never mind that that's completely different. Um, but it was interesting God, seeing that... God, there dis- be some overlap. Yeah. Uh, it was interesting seeing that discussion about what state the industry is and audiences are in and now getting reviews from, like, 15-year-olds being, like, uh, one star, zero stars because, you know, that sex scene was gross. And that's it. Like, they just, the fact that there was a sex scene. And, like, if you folks don't know my movies, my sex scenes are cartoons. Like, (laughs) this is not exploitation. This is not, um, you know, anything like that. It's not that sexualized, honestly, even though it's about sex. It's like you lean into the ridiculous. It's so, it's meant to be silly and fun and funny. Um, The most serious uh, romance scene in any of my films is actually in Carousel 2, and that's between a man and the Carousel Unicorn, and it's meant to be a legitimately romantic love scene. And that still wasn't good enough for some of these people, you know? Like, so it's it, it's surreal. I'm just gonna say that. It makes me feel like a real filmmaker, that I'm getting hate for it. That's what I was gonna say! Like, that's how you know! That's how you know! That's how you know that you made it, is yes. when people are like, what the hell? Who does he think he is? That's how you know. That's how you know that, that, that it's the thing. Um... Okay, so it's perfect world for a second. Okay. Getting to make the movies that you want to make and not having them dictate because we all know what happens once they get involved. Um, 
where would you like to see this little journey go? Other than just getting to pay your mortgage. Like, like, you know what I, mean? I mean, that's a big thing. Uh, it, it, the thing with perfection is that it is unknowable and yet it's always around us all of the time. Right. Um, so when you say, you know, the terms of like perfect world, you know, perfect ending, perfect life, it's so hard for me to answer that uh, because a lot of people would argue what I'm doing right now is already perfect. Um, Obviously, I would like to make more money. You know, Money's I, nice. I'd be happy with keeping my career at the same level right now, except getting to pay the mortgage way easier with it. Yeah. You know, um, making more than 30 a year, uh, struggling really hard uh, uphill would be swell. I mean, if I could have a career, I always say that like a couple of my, like two or three of my top guys I always think of, mm-hmm. uh, like Sam Raimi, John R. Cherry, uh, Robert Rodriguez. Um, Zack Snyder, but more so when it comes to like how he does what he wants to do, no matter what a loud part of the internet yells and right. complains about, and how his entire cast loves him and will die for him. Yeah, uh, that's a uh, hard to find in the industry. But like uh, that sort of Sam Raimi path of like making his weird, wacky movies when he wants to, and maybe a couple of times filming something for a studio. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to work for studios less than Sam does personally speaking. Right. But um, he's still doing what he wants to do. Like, he still is producing Evil Dead stuff, you know, the, but from the show to the new movie. Like, he's still right. keeping that alive from when he was, a, like, a 19-year-old kid making the first Evil Dead right. movie. He's still doing Evil Dead stuff, and that's awesome. I would love to do Carousel 10 <laughs> in, you know, 40 years from now. Um, and, like, keeping everything canon, too. Yeah. You know, just, like, continuing to make more yeah. in this insane series, except now I have all this Hollywood money. Um, that would be really cool and fun. But at the same time, that's not necessarily, like, the goal. Like, it's not like I will feel I have failed if I don't get to direct for Sony right. or, you know, Disney ones. I don't care explicitly about that. It's just more so if I can get to make that level of something, that would be really, really cool and fantastic. But that not that's not necessarily the goal. I don't know how to explain it no. better. <laughs> I, like again, like th- th- this is different for everybody. Like I always say, to me, there's no difference having your your life's goal being I want the perfect garden versus I want to win a Tony Award. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like to me, they're the same. It's just like, what are you doing towards that? You know what I mean? So like, you don't have to have some weird grandiose goal. Like getting to keep doing the thing you're doing and make a living at it. That's that's, and that's amazing. That's the thing, too, too. It's just like, it sounds dumb and silly and dumb. But I, I said it earlier, Amityville Christmas Vacation, gag movie, super small. I legitimately have made horror history with that film. Like, yeah. I legitimately did win the first ever Fangoria Chainsaw Award, a major award in the genre of filmmaking that I love so much. I was the first one to get that. That's nothing and, dumb about that. And that's huge. Like, that is huge, even though it's a gag movie, even though, you know, it's not getting me these massive accolades. Um, but, like, I've already accomplished so much, and I'm hopefully going to keep accomplishing things. So I don't know what that leads to. I don't know what that, where it crashes, if that's what yeah. happens. And, but I, I had a goal of making a movie a year for 10 years straight, and I surpassed that goal. Um, now I'm just kind of riding the river. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, okay. So here, here's one of the things that I love about, about you. And again, this is like the second time we've ever been in the same room. Um, so many folks, I, I have personal friends. All they talk about is 
but I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to. And you're like, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And that is huge. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like what, whatever the end result is, is less important. It's the, it's the getting, it's the getting up and I'm going to do this thing. And then actually, you know, doing the thing. Um, and then you get crazy ass awards for something you threw together in like, no time with no money but you're like nope i'm gonna get it done oh no i have no i have a timeline i gotta get it done gotta get it done gotta Mm -hmm. get it done and and i think so often because they expect shit from us you know we stop ourselves and we judge ourselves and we say that our things are stupid but they're not because you got up and you did the thing Mm -hmm. and so i am personally immensely impressed with and even though the thing you do is not my thing, it doesn't have to be my thing. I give a shit. I'm so incredibly proud of the fact that you're like, fuck it. This is my thing. I'm doing my thing. And there's not enough of that. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'm a great filmmaker. I don't think I'm better than other filmmakers or better than the people that want to be a filmmaker but haven't made anything yet. Mm-hmm. Um what I will say that I think my best feature is as a filmmaker is that I get it done. Right. I, and that is, and everyone that's like me shares that. Like that's yeah. the difference. It, no. it is that uh, I want to, won't get a, get you a movie. It's like, I need to get this done mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I've said that a lot over the years too. You know, I've said that in some other interviews or discussions where it's just like, at the end of the day, you got to ask yourself, what's better making a bad movie or making no movie. And in my opinion, making the bad movie is way better because you'll get better, you'll have something, you'll get feedback, um, and you'll have something to sell, even if it's bad, right. uh, versus... Because some people love that shit. Yeah, exactly. Like, it may not success for the reasons you want it to, but it may still succeed. And it may not succeed, and that's okay, too. You learned, and you can work with that, and maybe down the road that's part of your library now, and it might make you money 10 years from now. You don't know. I don't know um, for a fact, but I would bet any amount of money that my ex-husband probably has all your movies, because he lives for those. Yeah. Like, the kinds of movies that you make, my ex-husband had shelves of them. Mm-hmm. There was like 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 nuns and Dracula and like all kinds of weird shit. Like he <laughs> loved like I would walk in. What the hell are you watching? But he loved those. And I think that in specificity, that's where you're gonna find you know your people because like the more specific you are, actually the more general you are. So the mm-hmm. more specific you are in your little version of your little weird with your little carousel horses going around doing awful things. Um, you're going to have that audience. And, and the fact that you keep doing it is badass. Thank you. I appreciate that. All I'm saying. <laughs> um, how often do you get told you do too much? <sighs> Not enough. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I deal with the fans that are just like, what's next? And it's like, get off my ass. Oh, my I God. just released this. What I'm doing next is continuing to sell this. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't understand how much work it takes that right. consistently are like, well, okay, what's next? I'm like, I'm still trying to make this one a success. Yeah. And there might be something next, but I'm not worried about that right now. Um, or, you know, there uh, a few years back I said, you know, I might take the next year off. And immediately there's like 10 people being like, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't take a break. You, you know, you're awesome. You should keep going. And I'm just like, I appreciate just think I'm awesome but I've been doing this for you know like now I'm on 13 years of making movies going on 14 I'm allowed to sit down 
you pricks? To sit down. Uh, like it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, That's I mean, so, I was so sure that you because I get that shit all the time. I get the you do too much. You need to take a break. You you know you need to slow down. You need to stop. Stop. You know who do you think you are? You need like we don't. You're making us all look lazy. I'm like. I don't do anything. So I, I was 100% sure you yeah. were going to say this. My thing. fans, you know, bless them. But yeah, they're, <laughs> they're very like, much they like, don't give stop. Us, give us more Steve. Yeah, uh, that's what that's what seems to be the takeaway. There have definitely been a couple of people that said, you know, you should take more time between films. But at the same time, it's just like, this is working out. Yeah. <laughs> I know? mean, as long as you keep loving it. Yeah. Like, that's what matters. I mean, it's miserable, but... <laughs> I well, do it. yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes it's it's. So I started taking these um, these casting director workshops because. So the universe has been telling me I should do television, like, and it's the weirdest thing in the world because, like, I, I don't watch, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't watch. But like, when I go to theater auditions in DC and I have a theater director go, you should do television again. I feel like. Okay, fine. So, like, so sometimes I have classes that start at 10 o'clock at night because they're in L.A. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Zoom at 1.30 in the morning trying to act in my basement. Yeah. You know, but you can't get to where the thing is that you're going if you don't sometimes have to sit in your basement at midnight getting it done. So I think that people who don't understand that work ethic that's required to do a dream – you know, I think I think people think work and all they think about is the day job. Mm-hmm. They, they don't realize that even dreams are work. Well, I, I will say, at least uh, for me and a lot of other filmmakers I personally know, uh, it's sometimes, I mean, it's still work ethic, but it's also fear driving mm-hmm. us. And it's the fear of no longer being relevant. You know, like, yeah, if I waited a couple years to make my next movie, maybe that'll mean this movie will simmer more, get more fans and make more sales and then I can make the next one bigger or people will forget about me. Um, if I have something new every year, that can't happen. If I, you know, right. if I'm doing, you know, podcast interviews once a year, doing the conventions once a year, I'm consistently in people's minds. And that helps with when I do get the new fans, because again, I've been doing this for so many years. I have a library. It's so easy to yeah. sell three to six movies to a new person. If they are interested and heard good things. And, uh, that's part of the thing that scares me about taking a break. Honestly, is that, yeah. I, I don't think comp- I would lose all of my fans. I don't think that, but at the same time, it is just that the fear of not being relevant. Yeah. And, and, and in this industry where there is so much content, so much art that exists, right. you need to try to stay at the top of it, you know, tread mm-hmm. water the best you can. Well, I have nothing but um, happy vibes, and I want it to be everything that you want it to be. Throwing all the vibes. To you and all the peeps uh, and the kitties and <laughs> the weird animations. And um, I appreciate you coming so much. I, I know that you have a really busy weekend. And so to come and spend time talking about this stuff with me, it, it means a lot. So I, I appreciate being here. Uh, basically, I'll be going uh, straight home and going back to working on the new screenplay. There you go. Uh, um, but this was a pleasure. Uh, it was very wonderful being here, and uh, let me let me be a carny, Go be for, a carny. for the new for you know your nine viewers uh, <laughs> that may 14, not that may not know me. I was promised an extra five. Oh no, uh, I'm <laughs> talking about the ones that don't know me. Oh okay, yeah, yeah, the original nine. Okay. Exactly. Uh, so you know I'm Steve Rosinski. You may have heard about that, and uh, if you want to check out my films, you know 
I have a huge library of weirdness. They range from $500 to, you know, five-figure larger films. They range from PG to R-rated. Almost all of them are live-action cartoons, though. So uh, you won't like all of my movies, but if you like one, there will probably be more that you enjoy. Uh, I have a physical store. I'm sorry. I meant to say I have a store for my physical media. I don't want people to think there's a right. place they can walk up to. I have a store for my physical media, DVDs, Blu-rays, um, deck-building games that we've designed based on our films. And that is silverspotlightfilms.com. Uh, that's where you can pick all that up. Uh, if you don't do physical, I know a lot of folks don't even have a player anymore, which as a so cinephile weird. is, like, I don't understand that. Uh, it's you know, so like, weird. It's one like of people biggest, not books. One yeah. of the biggest selling points of the PlayStation 5 to me wasn't the games. It was the fact that I had a 4K Blu-ray player now. I was so excited. Yeah. Um, but uh, if you don't do physical, I do have a Patreon where for like three bucks a month, you get all of my modern films, or for five bucks a month, you get all of my trash from when I was a teenager that I don't want on there, but my fans went on there because they hate me, and a bunch of exclusives <laughs> that I made for the service, like a like Bill and I had a really great two-hour-long uh, introspective discussion about the Maui franchise after we ended it, and that's only on the $5 Steve Buster, because who else awesome. would watch it? And, but that's stevebuster.com. So if you just want to subscribe you know, for one month, two months, you can save all the links. They're like private YouTube links. You can bookmark them, save them, keep them. I don't mind. Just don't share them, please. He's trying please. to make a buck, guys. Come um, on. And if you don't want to gamble any money, right now, except for Carousel 3, all of my movies are on Tubi. Tubi TV is a streaming service that is free, and it is only ads-based. Even if my movies were on Tubi, it'd be my favorite streaming service because there's so much weird stuff on there. It feels like a mom-and-pop rental store. I have store. not been there. It's wonderful. Like, you will see, you know, like the major new MCU Hollywood big release right here, and then right next to it, some weird, like, sub-$10,000. And just, there's just ads. Yeah, and it's just ads. So please, you know, you can watch all my movies on there. You can try them out there. Don't use an ad blocker. Come on, guys. Like, seriously. It, I'll get like a money. nickel. I'll get like a nickel if you watch my movies there. But at least let me have that nickel. It's like <laughs> two minutes worth of ads. I worked for months on these movies. Yeah. You deserve to have your nickel. But those are the three places to find my stuff. So if you want to try me out, you know, Tubi, if you want to give me money, the Steve Buster, and if you want to actually physically own the stuff forever, SilverSpotlightFilms.com, baby. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you guys for spending your time with us while we're doing this whole thing. And uh, we will see you next time. Keep on dreaming. <laughs>